Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 14. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 14. We are on our very last lesson of dealing with uh, discipleship and defining discipleship in this case as the idea of being a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we know that there is a distinction in decisions between coming to know the Lord as our Savior. What does that mean? That means recognizing that we're a sinner and because of our sin we've offended a holy righteous God and that we deserve that awful place called hell. But Jesus Christ died for us and we personally came to the place where we accepted that free gift that Christ did for us, that salvation. After that, once someone becomes saved, another major decision they need to make in their life is to decide to follow after Christ. That there are millions of Christians who have been saved and legitimately saved. We're going to see them in heaven, but they've never made a decision to follow after Christ. And so their Christianity is a Christianity of convenience, meaning that if it's convenient, I'll be at a church. If it's convenient, I'll read my Bible. But there's no real action. There's no real decision. And unfortunately, by the way, that is going to have everlasting results. But that's for a different message whatsoever. As we hit last week, we hit a principle that we find in the Bible that helps us is God's unconscious preparation. What do we mean by that? That there are decisions that we make for ourselves and there are decisions that God makes for us. That we didn't decide who our parents were, where we were going to be born, what time we were going to be born. We didn't have any decision in that. There are things that happen within our life that maybe there's an accident, maybe there's a hindrance, maybe there's something that comes that we didn't have any decision in that, but God uses it to direct our path. Now on the opposite side of that, what we're going to hit today is the idea that the disciple makes conscience preparation. That the disciple makes conscious preparation. What does that mean? That carries the idea that there are choices we can make for ourselves to make us better followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, there's decisions we can make in our life that can help us to be better instruments in the hands of the Lord. And so, whereas we do understand that there is a part in our life where God makes decisions for us, we know that it's no such thing as, well, God's making all the decisions for me. I'm just going to be free and just do whatever I want, that we understand that there are some decisions we need to make in ourselves and decisions we could do to help make us better instruments for the Lord, to make us better followers of the Lord, to make us at the place where God can put us where we could be the best use. I hope that you have that sort of desire that I don't want to be just put in some position where... Um, where I'm just used as a plaything or just some, something that doesn't matter. I want to be used for important things in the Lord's work. And I want to be the best tool for the job. Now we know that for us, I heard one of my favorite uh, preachers of yesteryear, Curtis Hudson, would always use these homespun analogies and illustrations. And he said, you know, have you ever tried to nail 
uh, a nail in the wall, but you don't have a hammer. And so you end up using whatever tool you have available. Maybe it's a shoe, maybe it's a wrench, or you know, you're using whatever you have available. Well, we understand that there's a tool made for the job, and that's the hammer. But there's sometimes, because the tool is just <laughs> ordinary or just handy, that God will use whatever's available. I'd rather be the best tool for the church. Does that make sense? And with that, there are some decisions that we need to make in our life to help us be the best instrument used in the different situations that God can use us in. Sort of make sense? Good. Now with that, this is going to be more of a shotgun method, meaning this is we're kicking all the fragments that remain. We're trying to gather up all the different things and give quickly a huge list of different things that we can do to help make us the best instruments inside of the Lord's hands that there are conscious choices that we can make in order for us to be used the way the Lord wants us to use. Now, you found your way to the Gospel record of John chapter 14. This is the first principle we're going to hit here in the Gospel record of John chapter 14. John 14, and notice with me in verse number 23. John 14 and verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Let's pause. Here... Once again, Jesus gives a definition of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. Understand that love always produces action. Love always produces action. I have a huge long list, so I'm not going to spend too much time on each one of them, but we've hit that before. Love always produces action. That if a man love me, he will keep my words. But notice there are three promises that come back to us. And my father will love him. And we will come unto him. And make our abode with him. We understand the principle we're hitting here is a disciple has an abiding love for the Lord Jesus Christ. An abiding love. Remember, love always produces action. Maybe a quick little illustration. Let's say that my wife, and I love my wife, that I decide all I'm going to do is just adore her. So, I'm just going to stare at her and stare at her, and stare at her, and smile at her. After a while, she may get creeped out, but no, 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 I love her, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to adore her, and just stare at her. Well, when it comes time, she goes, honey, you need to go to work. No, 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 I don't have to work. I just want to love you. You know, because I love her, I'm going to go to work. Because I love her, there are things I'm going to do around. Love always produces action. And so when we talk about the disciple has abiding love, it's not an idea that, I love you. But there's no substance behind it. Words are cheap. Actions are what really bases the message. And so a disciple, how do we prove our love to Christ? If you love me, keep my commandments. Very simple. That this is the type of love that a disciple should have for the Lord Jesus Christ. That it produces, it's shown up in his actions. Notice if you don't mind something else we see. The gospel record of Luke chapter 24. The gospel record of Luke chapter 24. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 27. Again, we're going to turn to a lot of scriptures. We're trying to just shotgun a lot of these methods here. And um, some of these things to understand how we can make ourselves a better instrument used in the hands of the Lord. The gospel record of Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus Christ's resurrection. He's now talking to the uh, two disciples on the road to Aramaeus. And at the end of it, why he's starting to respond to them. Notice what Jesus does in Luke 24, verse 27. 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What do we understand as a principle here? The disciple has a desire to know God through his all-sufficient word. A disciple has a desire to know God through his all-sufficient word. Now again, we're placing a great emphasis here on the word of God. And we had covered earlier in our series about uh, the Bible. That the main purpose of the Bible class is to... Reveal God to man. Very good. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. That this is not a book about David. It's not a book about Paul. It's not a book about Samuel. It is a book about God. And that we read this to learn more about who God is. And that that should be the reason and the way that you read your Bible every day. Lord, show me more of yourself. Show me more of you. Teach me something of you. And that a true disciple has a desire to know more about God through his word. Notice as we know another principle, the gospel record of Matthew 24. There's only about 25 of these, so we'll just go quick. Matthew 24. Matthew 20, uh, sorry, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, Jesus Christ is dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees had hypocrisy. They looked religious on the outside, but they were rotten in the inside. And then there was another group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees denied the miracles, denied the supernatural, denied the prophecies. In fact, someone said that's why they're so sad, you see, is because they didn't believe in the supernatural. And so they ask a foolish question, trying to base things off of Jesus uh, understanding or what they thought he understood rather than what they believed. And notice as Jesus rebukes them in Matthew 22 verse 29. Matthew 22 verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Here we understand a principle. The disciple increases his familiarity with the people, places, and events of the Bible. That the disciple increases his familiarity with the people, places, and events of the Bible. You should know something about the people of the Bible. You should know something about the geography, the places of the Bible. You should know things about the events of the Bible. Now, someone will say, well, I don't. How can I know? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have a certain thing that we have called Evening School of the Bible. It is a two-year course, three courses each semester, so 12 uh, classes in all where we actually teach these things. They run um, a fall semester and a spring semester, and it's rotating, so you could just jump on board in the middle of it. Our next one starts in September. But we go over classes like Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, basic Bible doctrine, the life of Christ, the Christian home, uh, how to study the Bible, how to teach the Bible. We do these things for the purpose of equipping you and trying to give you some more tools that you can know your Bible more. For example, we just finished how to study our Bible in one of our courses and we talked a, a whole session about geography of the Bible and explained about the geography of the Bible. And once you get that and you could place in your head where they're at, it opens up the Bible even more. What's the significance of Jerusalem? You talk about the people of the Bible, that we know that they're the most used name inside of the word of God 
is Zechariah. 14 Zechariah is in the Bible. That means not everybody who has the same name are the same people. And that there are things that we need to be familiar with. So that way we're never accused of this. That you do err not knowing the scriptures. There are certain things that we should know about the scriptures. People, places, and things, events, different things. And that as a disciple, we should be purposely learning these things. And we're giving you opportunities where you could learn these things even more. To have a basic knowledge of your Bible that you could build upon. Notice if you don't mind as we go to the book of Colossians. Now again, these are conscious choices that a disciple makes in order to be the best instrument in the hands of God. And <laughs> these are things as we start off with the word of God that we're learning how to love God by obeying his word. That we have a desire to know God through his word. That we have an increasing knowledge of the people, places, things, and events. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 and let's grab another principle, another decision that we can make in order for us to be the best instrument used in the hands of God. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Notice with me in chapter 2 verse 8 uh, a phrase that we used last Sunday night in our series. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the rudiment or the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world not after Christ. Colossians 2 8. Here we understand that the disciple has a grasp of theology his philosophy is founded on and grown in his philosophy. Now we're using big terms. Let me define them. Theology is our view of God. All right. Philosophy is our view of life. So many times people take their view of life and try to make their theology match their philosophy. We should always start with God and we start with God and then base our philosophy. It should spring from our theology. Does that make sense? That it always begins with God. The Bible says that we could be spoiled, destroyed, taken advantage of, deceived by philosophy. We have to be careful of it. That our worldview should always be based from the Bible and not just from the world. So many people, their view of Christ is based off of their view of the world, which makes it not the Christ of the Bible. We have to be careful. And there are things that you should understand about theology and the study of God and who he is that we could have a proper worldview. Again, another reason why we have the evening school of the Bible. The evening school of the Bible is meant for those who may not have the opportunity to go to a Bible Institute, Bible college, but people who want to have a good foundation, whether it's doctors or lawyers, whether it's... Um, <coughs> professional people, whether it's Sunday school teachers or deacons or trustees, whatever position to have a biblical worldview that everything else springs, springs from. And it comes from our theology. Our theology, from our theology sprouts our philosophy. How we view God should affect how we view life. Notice if you don't mind in the gospel record of Mark chapter one, we find another one. The gospel record of Mark chapter number one. Gospel record of Mark chapter 1. 
as we now go back to the gospel record of Mark chapter 1, we now come to the early part of the Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And as he's starting his earthly ministry, as he preaches a message, there is a response to one of his first publicly recorded messages. And we find that in the gospel record of Mark chapter 1. Notice with me in verse 22. Gospel record of Mark chapter 1 verse 22. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. What is the principle we're learning here? That the principle follows biblical examples in preaching and teaching of God's word. Did you know that there's a right way to preach God's word and there's a wrong way to preach God's word? And that we should understand the principle. By the way, we have what we call expositional preaching. Another big word. What in the world is expositional preaching? Well, it's we read the text, we explain the text, we apply the text. That's simple. Read the text, explain the text, apply the text. We just take the Bible, see what it says, and make an application. We keep it simple. But with it, because God's word has authority and God's word has power, we can expect God's word to do its own work. May I take a a quick application pause? God never promised to bless my preaching. That's pretty humbling to think. God never promised to bless my preaching. But he always promised to bless his word. So the more that it is based from God's word, the more I could expect God to use it. Does that make sense? That takes the load off of me. By the way, I don't have to come up with a message. I just have to read the text, explain the text, apply the text. And God's word will do its own work. That's helpful. That's freeing. That helps me out. Just have to say what the Bible says. That's different than what so many other people do today. In fact, it's so different that I actually heard of a case of some churches that do more entertainment that someone actually did expositional preaching there. And they said, is this some new thing? This sounds kind of cool. No, it's actually old and you left it, but you know, maybe there's a recycle type thing. Maybe they'll come back. It's wonderful. All right. Anyways, what else do we learn? Hebrews chapter number 12. Again, this is more of a shotgun method, but these are things that we can apply in our life to make us more usable in the hands of God. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And again, we could almost take a whole message on each one of these, but this is more shotgun method. So thank you for your patience. And I thank you for taking time to look in your Bibles for yourself and see what they have to say. But these are principles that we can apply in our life to be the most usable. And hopefully you have a desire to be the best instrument that God can use from his toolbox. And that's what I want. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In chapter 12, it is continuing the idea of chapter 11. Chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith. And over and over you see by faith, by faith, by faith. Now, just like love, faith always produces action. So you see by faith the person and the action they did. By faith the person and the action they did. As a summary statement, we now come to chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed with such a great 
cloud of witnesses. This is tying into the chapter before. What's the principle we learn here? That the disciple has a knowledge of the history of God's people. You should know something about the people who came before. God has always had a remnant. God has always had a people that he's worked through. We should know something about those people that God has worked through throughout history. Not just in the Bible, but throughout the history of some of these other people that helped carry the faith and deliver that faith to us. It's almost like a baton. You guys remember the old relay races where they had the baton and they would run for it. And then as they would run, they would hand it off to the next person and the next person would continue to run the race. We all have our part in the race and we just pass on what we've been taught and we hand it to the next generation. Well, what happens with so many people running the laps and they give it to us and then we go, ah, it's not that big of a deal and just kind of drop it. Well, we mess up the whole thing because we have a responsibility of taking this faith that was delivered to us and deliver it to the next generation. That we have that responsibility and we should know something about the people who went before us to help pass on the faith that we now get to enjoy so we could pass it on to someone else. Notice, if you don't mind, we learn something else. The gospel record of Luke chapter 19. The gospel record of Luke chapter 19. This one's a good one. The gospel record of Luke chapter 19. At verse number 10. The gospel record of Luke chapter 19 in verse number 10. Jesus Christ has just dealt with a, with a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Right? He climbed upon a sycamore tree. Jesus looked at him and said, come down. I'm going to have, I'm going to sup at your house. And Zacharias, or Zacharias, <laughs> yes, Zacharias, Zacchaeus, there we go. Zacchaeus. Uh, he got so thoroughly right with God. He had cheated people on their taxes before. He promised to not, not only fix it, but give them four times as much as he stole from them. He thoroughly got right with God. And when the people are astonished, they're like, what in the world just happened? How in the world can a tax collector get right with the Lord? And all tax collectors need the Lord, right? <laughs> and notice what Jesus said in a summary statement. Verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That this is Jesus' purpose in life. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if we're going to be more like Christ, then his summary statement should be our summary statement. If the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, we too should have that same thing. That we should believe that the responsibility of evangelism... Um, <coughs> So the disciple is actively seeking salvation of the lost as a personal soul winner. That should be our responsibility. That was God's goal in life while he was here on this earth. And he gave it to us. That we are supposed to have that same thing. To seek and to save that which was lost. Notice if you don't mind as we turn to the gospel record of Matthew chapter 28. Now I know that we're going through a lot. And you guys are listening patiently. We're just trying to catch everything up here. Notice with me in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number... Um, 28. In the gospel record of Matthew 28, Jesus Christ has already been crucified, has risen the third day. He is um, <coughs> now preparing 
uh, to spend 40 days with his disciples. And as he spends these 40 days and uh, he's giving them the last minute instructions before he ascends to heaven. And in Matthew chapter number 28, we have an important uh, statement, declaration, job. The one thing that God has given the church to do, which we summarize as the Great Commission. Notice with me in verse 19. Matthew chapter number 28 and verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. If we were to summarize the Great Commission in two statements, it would be this. It would be reaching and teaching. Reaching and teaching. That we appreciate soul winning and soul winning is something we're supposed to do. But we're also supposed to follow that up with teaching them how to follow after the Lord. Discipleship. That there are some churches that are great soul winners. Praise the Lord for it. But you have not completed the Great Commission unless you've also taught them as well. This is vital. This is important. In fact, I just had a church contact me the other day. They said, you know what? We've been hearing you talk about discipleship. Uh, I think we need that in our church too. We've got a lot of Christians who have been saved, but they don't seem to be moving the way we want to. They need discipleship. We need to teach them. We define discipleship the way that we do things is developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That everything we do in the Christian life is habits. You get in the habit of going to church. You get in the habit of praying. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. You get in the habit of forgiving people. You get in the habit of having a good... You develop these habits. Discipleship develops these habits by providing accountability. Just like if I was to go to the gym. I know that's hard to imagine, but if I was to go to the gym and I was to do it by myself, what happens if I don't feel like going? Well, then I'm not going to go. But if I have a, someone who goes with me and keep myself accountable, that even in the days I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it anyways because they're holding me accountable until it becomes a habit in life. Well, the same thing's true about the Christian life. There may be some times that you don't feel like reading your Bible. But if you know someone's checking up on you and asking, how's your Bible reading? Not as a way to lord over you, but as a way because they love you, it will help you to stay faithful in your Bible reading. Does that make sense? You develop these habits. We're very big on discipleship here, and we've watched it work over and over and over. And this is something that we have the responsibility to do is as part through our church is to reach people with the gospel, then teach them how to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ afterwards. Notice, if you don't mind, there's something else that we see. Matthew chapter 16, since we're in the gospel record of Matthew, Matthew 16. Matthew 16. And notice with me in verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. Still dealing with the church. That Jesus Christ has asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they said the rumors that they heard. Then he turns around and says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, usually the mouthpiece of the disciples, spoke up and said that you're the Lord, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You're right. But notice what he follows us up in verse 18. And I say unto thee, now notice who's speaking, Jesus is speaking. Now I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we know that there are some of our friends who decide uh, to misinterpret this. And what they say is that Peter, Petros, that's, that's a rock. And so they have an idea that Jesus is saying, thou Peter. Upon this rock, and they have the idea that they're pointing to Peter. Actually, the word Petros carries the idea it's a rock, but it's a little pebble. 
And when Jesus says, thou art Peter, I'm acknowledging you are, Peter, I want your attention, Peter, upon this rock. And Jesus points to himself. The word rock there carries the idea of a boulder, a huge boulder. And he said, not little pebble, but upon this rock will I, now notice Jesus is speaking, I will build my church. He didn't say, Peter, you're going to build my church. He didn't say, I'll build your church. He didn't say, you build your church. He said, I will build my church. The Bible is very clear in the book of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. That God builds his own house. We're just making ourselves at God's disposal so he could use us to build his house. We're just the instruments. You can't do God's work. Only God can do his own work. We're just making ourselves the best instruments possible for God to get his own work accomplished. Now, a disciple, here's the principle, is convinced that the local church is God's program in the world today. We've been talking about that in our teacher's workers meeting at 615. Something else we do, not only do we have evening school of the Bible, not only do we have discipleship, but we also have a teacher's workers meeting on Wednesdays at 615. Hey, it's a nice way to introduce you to all the stuff we've got going on. And the teacher's workers meeting is made for anyone who is a teacher or worker who, or who has a desire to eventually be a teacher or worker that you could be on the same page and understand what we're doing, understand and our theology that goes to our philosophy of how we're working in the church, how we're doing Sunday school, why we're doing this, and to bring people on the same page so we could labor together moving forward in unity. And that's our desire. And so if you have a desire to eventually one day be a teacher, worker, helper, something in the church, we encourage you to be here at the Teachers Workers Meeting 615. See, we're trying to do all these things because we want to equip you to be the best worker so we can move forward and watch God do a work. Notice if you don't mind, that's half the list. Let's get the other list. Let's see if I can get it done in the time that I have allotted. Turn with me, if you don't mind, the gospel record of John chapter 13. The gospel record of John chapter 13. I may just make this a copy. I have a copy of a list. If you want a copy afterwards, just see me and I'll give it to you for those of you who are frantically taking notes and will try to be a help to you. Uh, it's in our Sunday school books, but we ran out of books for some of you. Uh, praise the Lord, that's a good problem, but we're sorry for that. But we could give this to you so you could have it for your own edification and see that I just didn't come up with it in thin air, that someone else wrote it, and I'm reading it this time. Uh, the gospel, and I believe it too, by the way. The gospel record of John chapter 13. The gospel record of John chapter 13, and notice with me in verse 34. The gospel record of John 13 and verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We understand that a disciple has a heart for people because of the time he has spent for Christ. Remember that the more that you spend time with someone, the more that you're like them. We've seen those things where the pets start to look like the, the peep, their owners or their owners look like their pets. You've seen them, they, it's uncanny. Or after a while, because of a couple spent uh, time together, that you see them together, that they, they blended together, right? After 51 years of marriage, you know, <laughs> you start to see them uh, together. Well, the more you spend like time with Christ, the more you start becoming like him. And after spending that time with Christ and seeing how he loves people, we'll love people just the same. This is how they know that there's something different is because we love, especially the brethren. There's something to it that we have a love. It is 
disheartening to see quote-unquote Christians who seem very hateful towards things. It's very easy to love or hate other people's sins. It's very hard to hate your own sins. And, um, but we understand that we're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin. Everyone's got issues. Every single one of us. We just have different issues. We just have to find where people are and help them move forward and show them that love. Jesus was always criticized for hanging out with the sinners, but those are the ones who needed him and he was spent time with them. Notice if you don't mind, we see another principle here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. Some of our disciples have this as a memory verse. This is good. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we turn there, let's kind of run down context. Who's speaking? Paul. Who's he speaking to? Timothy. Timothy. So in 2 Timothy 2, 2, we know Paul's speaking. Timothy is the person of address. Notice in verse number 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul is talking to a Timothy and he says, Timothy, the things that I taught you, the same. Now may I pause? Things that are different are not the same. The very same thing that I taught you, you have an expectation of teaching faithful men. Notice the qualification there. Not just men, but faithful men. People who are going to uh, listen and be obedient. Faithful men who are going to be expected to teach others also. Well, notice there are four groups of people here. There's a Paul, there's a Timothy, there's faithful men, and there's others also. Do you know that you fit somewhere on there? Everybody should have a Paul who's teaching them more and more about following after Christ. Everybody should be a Timothy where you're learning from someone. Then everyone should be also expected as a Timothy to eventually take faithful men or a faithful person with the expectation that they in turn are going to teach someone else. Everyone has a role to play. And everyone has many roles to play on this. But we're supposed to take the same things that have been taught to us, not different things, the same things, teach those to someone else with the expectation that they are supposed to teach others also. This is how doctrine has been passed through all these generations. Jesus taught the apostles. The apostles taught the first century church. First century church taught the second century church. Second century church. And so on. We have this line of doctrine that we find and we're supposed to learn it, teach it, and make sure that others learn it as well. This is discipleship. Following after Christ. Notice if you don't mind something else. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 13. 2 Timothy 3.14 The cloak that I have left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. You know, every disciple should be constantly learning and knows authors and publishers that can be trusted. Means you need to become a reader and you should be learning other things and picking up. There are good resources out there that help back things up. But you should also know which stuff is to, that is good to read. I know a Christian author, he's passed now, but he, did, he could not wrap his mind that someone would write a book that wasn't 
uh, true. <laughs> that wasn't slanted. That wasn't, I mean, he was just uh, innocent and all this stuff. Let me tell you, there are some books that you should stay away from. And they may call themselves Christian that may hurt you. You should know what is good, know something about the author, know something. Because everyone has context. And you should know something about the context of their life. I don't have time to run through all of that. But every Christian should become a reader and learn things. And if you have stuff, I have a whole library of books. This is just probably now a, a fifth of my library now. But I try to put good resources out here that you could take and borrow and read for yourself and develop the habit and help you to grow as a Christian. Here, uh, Apostle Paul, he's asking, I need some more books. Not just Bible books. I need some more books to read. That's good. He says, bring me the books. By the way, there's more about reading in the Bible too. So it's not just isolate yourself with the Bible. Though if all you said was an empty room and a Bible, you're still doing well. But there should be some other resources that help encourage your knowledge. You're building upon the foundation of others. Instead of starting over every time someone's a brand new Christian, you could build off of what people have learned. I'd rather learn from other people's mistakes than make those same mistakes myself. Come on, smile. It's all right. I'd rather learn from other people and avoid some of those hard times if I can by learning those principles of following after God. You guys are listening very well. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Oh, about seven more left. I'll see if I can get to them all. John chapter 13. John 13. John 13, and notice with me in verse 17. John 13 and verse 17. John 13, verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you know these things, happy are ye that do these things. That we understand that there should be a devotional life. Now, there is a difference between doing devotions and having a devotional life. Anybody could read the Bible and have your eyes touch every word of the page and check off a box. Right. Having a devotional life has the idea that I'm reading it devotionally to him. Learning more about him. Seeking after him. Looking for him. And as I have this devotional life, I'm happy. Most of you have a Christian Life Journal. If you don't, I apologize. Let me know and I'll get you one. I have an article in there by George Mueller. If you're familiar with anything about prayer, George Mueller should be at the top of your list about prayer. He wrote an article that I placed on there about his devotional life where he said, I used to start off with um, uh, just a quick... Uh, with as trying to read prayer and trying to get a hold of God and then, you know, get to my studies later on. But I learned that before I could really talk to God, I have to make my own soul happy first. And so I read my Bible until it naturally flows into prayer because I'm looking for God and I'm searching for God. And as I'm reading the Bible and I find him, it will naturally bring me to the place where my soul is happy and I'm talking to God and my prayer life is much more Less static, less check boxes, and more speaking with God. So I encourage you to read that article that's in the Christian Life Journals that we provided for you about um, making your soul happy. It's called Soul Nourishment. And it's something really good by George Mueller that will help you to have a devotional life rather than simply doing devotions. Notice if you don't mind as we go another one. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. This one's a big one. 
First Timothy chapter number three. First Timothy chapter number three. This is the qualifications of a pastor. And uh, we're not necessarily doing the qualifications of the pastor, but I want you to notice something that it says here. Qualifications of a pastor. Let's start in verse one. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good of good behavior, given a hospitality, apt to teach, not given a wine, not striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Here's the principle. A disciple learns <laughs> that God-given duties never conflict. A disciple realizes God-given duties never conflict. What do I mean by that? Well, as we're using the qualification of a pastor, and I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor, but that's not all I am. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a citizen. I'm a chaplain. I'm blah, 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 blah. All right. We have many hats. All of you have different hats. God gave me all of those things to do. And so I'm expected to do all of those things. I am not supposed to neglect one area of my life in order to fulfill another one. God-given priorities never conflict. Let me give an example. Let's say that I have in mind that I'm going to do pastor stuff today. But my wife needs me for something. God-given priorities never conflict. It's not one or the other. When I spend time with my wife or my family, I'm not neglecting the things God has given me to do. Does that make sense? This is something you need to get to know. I've heard foolish statements from people. I had one preacher, I recall uh, years ago, who sat his kids down and said, God has given me the purpose of saving America. So in order to do that, I have to neglect you. And I'm letting you know just ahead of time that you are going to be neglected and that in order for me to accomplish what God's given me. No, no. By the way, every disciple should do his home work, meaning that there's work that we do at home. God-given priorities never conflict. If my children need me, they are not a bother or a hindrance in the ministry. God has given me to be a parent. God has given me to do those things. Now, my purpose is I have to define priorities. So I, I'm going to kick a cat while I'm here. Do you mind? Some people have used worldly language and adopted it into the Christian world. For example, a lot of preachers have used the word balance. Balance, you got to keep your life in balance. I hate that word. One, because it's not biblical. The way that the word balance is used in the Bible is carrying the idea of not stealing. Not the idea of balancing your life. God wants us to be complete in Christ. Meaning he wants me to do all the things he's given me to do. The idea of balancing it has the idea that I take something from over here and put over here. God doesn't want me to steal from my family for the ministry. And he doesn't want me to steal from my family uh, or steal from the ministry for my family. He wants me to accomplish all of those things. And God can help me. God-given priorities never conflict. There's so much into it to explain. I'm just going to give you that nugget. You can study it out or come see me later. God-given priorities never conflict. If I could get every young preacher, every young couple, every young missionary, every young person and teach them that principle, it would help so many things. God-given priorities never conflict. Never conflict. <clears throat> uh, right? Good. 
I'll give you a copy for these other things for those of you who have the have the um, have the thing. Uh, I'll give you it. I'm going to skip to the very last one. Philippians chapter three. Thank you for your patience. I'm trying to talk fast. You guys are listening fast, so that helps. Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter three, and we have one more principle. The gospel record of John chapter 4 speaks about true worshipers and those that worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and truth. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 continues that thought. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Notice this. And have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Remember, God can only be worshipped in spirit and truth. That means our flesh can't worship God. It's the spirit within us that worships God. Remember, only God can do his work. We have to be dead to self and worship the way that God said to be worshipped. Have no confidence in my flesh. Let me give an example. I can certainly preach a Sunday school message in my own flesh and let it just deflate and just stink up the whole joint. I could try to go soul winning in my own flesh and just get the results that man could get done. I could try to labor in the flesh and I only can get accomplished what I can get accomplished. But when God is worshiped, God can do a work above and beyond anything that I can do. Only God can do his work. We have to learn to depend upon God and have no confidence in the flesh. A disciple learns this, that we don't want what man could get accomplished. We want what God and God alone can get done. And that can't be done by the flesh. It can only be done by God's spirit. Now, I could be dead to self and be used as the instrument, but even then, God is doing the work, not me. Not my ego, not my abilities, not how great I think I am. No confidence, absolutely no confidence in the flesh. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.